Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a podcast from BBC Studios, the commercial subsidiary of the BBC. Hello and welcome back to season two of the TalentWorks podcast. If you haven't listened to us before, TalentWorks is a production company within BBC Studios and it's aimed at identifying forward-thinking talent with whom it can partner. The podcast is presented by Helen O'Donnell and me, Brona Monaghan. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe. Ed Mustafa is a writer and director based in London. He's also the creative director of After Party Studios, which is a production company founded by content creator and entrepreneur Callum McGinley, also known online as Calix. After Party had a huge hit with their feature documentary, KSI Can't Lose, and the production followed the transformation of the UK's biggest gamer into a champion boxer and captured the biggest event in internet history. It also debuted at number one on the iTunes chart. Not too bad. This is the We were keen to chat to Ed about his background in production and what it's like to be behind the camera of some of the biggest personalities on YouTube and also what his writing ambitions are for the future. Let's hear from Ed. So, Ed. Yes, hello. Hey, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. Tell us about your creative journey so far, because you've done a lot in your career, but started in advertising. Yes. Uh, So I left left school after my A-levels, actually. I was meant to go to university. Uh, I literally had an offer in. I was like, going to go and study English literature. It was going to be great. And then I got this offer from my, like, dream advertising agency, which was Grey London. And they basically said, come in for 30 days and do an internship with us, unpaid. And the choice was between that and going to university. Wow. And it was like, then for me, I always wanted to go into advertising, I thought. So I thought, go to university for three years, spend loads of money, and then come out and do the same thing. I'll just do it now. So I kind of skipped it all, did that, kind of landed in a full-time job there, which was quite fortunate. Um, And then kind of was there for a year, got a bit sort of disillusioned by the whole advertising industry. What sort Um, of things were you doing in that year? Uh, so I worked on Volvo at first, uh, which was really fun, actually, because I got to work here and out in Sweden and kind of doing a lot of international coordination and all that sort of fun stuff. Uh, so it was account management more than anything. I wasn't creative. Um, and then I got put onto Emirates as well, uh, which was fun. But, like, it was such a global account. It was, like, it was quite challenging. Um, so then decided to leave that, do a bit of freelancing in the kind of film, TV world, mainly running production assistant work. Uh, and then fell into kind of editing, and I realised that it was a skill I had that I didn't really know I could, you know, monetize. Uh, and that's when I met Callum. Uh, he goes by Callux on YouTube, so he uh, is a pretty big YouTuber in the UK. He's got, I think, 2.3 million subscribers. Callum, if that's wrong, I'm very sorry. <laughs> uh, 
And he basically wanted me to come in and start editing for him. And I did that on a sort of freelance basis, got to know him quite well, got to know his style. Um, and it was quite funny, actually. It was at the end of 2016, so it was December, and I was about to go away for all of December to Australia and have like a sort of nice road trip with my brother. And I got a text from Callum saying, uh, when you come back in the new year in 2017, like, do you want to come full time? And like, I'm starting a production company. Like, are you interested? It was great because like, I had this month time in like this amazing country and just like, had the best experiences. And I knew that I was coming back to this like long term opportunity as well, which is amazing. Um, and yeah, and I've been there since January 17. And it kind of started off as a an editor role, but it's moved into a kind of increasingly creative one. And now I've somehow convinced them to make me creative director. Amazing. Were you aware of Callum's channel before you met him? Or were you interested about the YouTube space? Uh, to be honest, like not massively, but mm. I think that's probably one of the things that's been most beneficial. So I work with a guy called Ben Doyle, who directs under Rubber Duck. Uh, and we both kind of were exactly the same age, and we come from that sort of same generation who like slightly missed the boat. Um, so it's, it seems to have become a really big thing just after us. So we were still on the kind of CBBC... Nickelodeon vibe when we were growing up um, but I think that's great and I think that's benefited us more than hindered us because mm-hmm. it's kind of allowed for this more objective you know like just seeing these these, these talent as people rather than kind of seeing looking up to them as yeah. idols which has been great. So what sort of work does After Party do? Mm. So you've been going since it started in 2016? Yeah back end of 2016 Yeah. Um, and we kind of started off just making content for Callum's channel uh, and kind of applying a higher quality production values to everything that was going on there. And who's we? How many people are there? So at the start, it was just me. Uh, well, actually, at the start, it was just Callum and Ben uh, before I joined. And then I joined, and it was just us three for about almost two years. Uh, and then we had a guy, Joshua Barnett, join us, who now sort of runs the company as managing director. And he's kind of steering us into sort of new undiscovered realms which is quite exciting how we became uh, aware of after party was the ksi can't lose documentary mm. so what was that what that was, was that? A, well it was a massive success mm. but it's, tell us you. about what it is yeah so so ksi uh, essentially well ksi is a youtuber so he's i think the biggest youtuber in the uk by subscriber count about 20 million just over um and he got into this big fight with joe weller and we kind of actually caught wind of this through kind of knowing him personally before it became public knowledge. And we thought, okay, like, is there an opportunity to start, you know, thinking about a content opportunity around this? Uh, and we approached him and we said, you know, we, we really want to make this into a feature length documentary uh, and kind of really track the whole process of him never really putting on a pair of boxing gloves to stepping into a ring in front of tens of thousands of people. Uh, and it's great. And we f- we followed him with a camera for six months, maybe, from like literally start to finish. We caught the entire fight night from you know twenty different angles and like these crazy cameras. And it just looks it looks amazing. Uh, and we kind of finished it, and it was it was entirely done on spec. Like we didn't have a commissioner lined up, and it was kind of just making it for the sake of making it. And we didn't really know where it was going to sit at first. Um, so, what made you have that belief that we should be telling this story? Yeah, I, I, I guess it just felt like he has such a big audience and that combined with the fact that it's a kind of classic story of, you know, the underdog. And we were, so it's called KSI Can't Lose and we were thinking, like, we got to a fight night 
and we were all absolutely crapping ourselves because we thought if he loses mm. I mean it wasn't cool I mean the, the working title was can't lose but we thought you know we could always change the title to like does lose but it, it was not quite as good and we just thought <laughs> we were, like, we, yeah we were like we spent six months like following this guy this like the, the whole training process and we were kind of the entire office was just full of like edit notes on the wall and we were thinking we literally had two plans we were like okay if he does lose this is what the film becomes and it becomes a kind of a comment on egomania and a kind of a comment on misplaced pride and if he doesn't then it becomes this great success underdog story and so like either way we were going to kind of spin it but yeah it just seemed like the beneficial outcome came to be and we kind of got this brilliant story of the kind of classic underdog um so what's what's your experience of working with such a big talent who mm. obviously is known to a mass audience in yeah. a very um specific vertical like when you open it up to this massive story to someone who has a massive point to prove like did, did jj give you full access did, did he seem nervous at all to give you that access i mean yeah. he had that personal relationship anyway yeah i mean so to be clear, so so Ben directed it, and Ben mm-hmm. was kind of the one who was conducting all the interviews. So I'll pretty much tell you what Ben's experience was because I wasn't there. But uh, to my knowledge, I think JJ, which is KSI's nickname, uh, is like very very open and mm-hmm. kind of wanted to tell the story as much as we wanted to tell it. And he kind of gave a access all areas kind of vibe, and nothing was off the table, and the cameras were never asked to cut at any point, and it was a kind of and I think you see that in the film, you see that in the mm-hmm. finished product. Like there are, there are moments where he looks visibly uncomfortable and he's having what looks like the start of a nervous breakdown before the fight. But, like, he doesn't say, like, Ben, can you put the camera away? Like, he, everything kind of continues and the, the show must go on. He's really good like that. He's really supportive of, like, us wanting to make something and it be true and it be accurate to actually what happened. I think what's interesting is that story was so well documented. Mm-hmm. So almost what people think of digital talent is that they put their life online. Yeah. So it's almost thinking, oh, well, that story is already going to exist in a vlog or in an Instagram story here. But Can't Lose had a very stylistic intent to Mm. the documentary. So there's the shots of him jogging, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. First thing in the morning, maybe? Or last thing at night? And I think on Christmas Day as well, there was some jogging shots in there. So how did you make sure that it had like a clear creative direction that felt different from the rest of the content that was available around that subject area? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, again, so much like how the office wall was covered in edit notes before we actually had any footage, we kind of planned out what we would see as like the perfect beats to this story. Like if we could write it as a kind of fictitious piece, like how would we want this story to go? And... To be honest, it pretty much fell into how we wanted it to go, so it was perfect in the end. But I think we kind of knew from the start, and I don't know if this is a traditional way to produce a a documentary. I imagine it's probably not, but we kind of had a way that we wanted to tell it and a way that we wanted it to go. And I think that kind of, whether consciously or otherwise, kind of steered us in a certain way of telling it. Uh, And yeah, like I was saying, it was all for us from the start about kind of telling a very true, authentic story about someone who has been misconstrued quite a lot Mm -hmm. by things that he's put online or thing, like things that the press have written or whatever and just telling a really true story in a way that doesn't compromise on style and production value um so i think yeah they were the two kind of most important things to us when we were making it yeah because i like, actually so we're, we're recording this today from a from a writer's retreat and we've been talking a lot about how a story really boils down to a really simple concept so right. Obviously, the front-facing thing is this is a boxing documentary about a, a YouTube star yep. doing the first box match, but actually it's someone's 
the hero's journey mm-hmm. in a way. So for JJ to put himself out there in that way, yep. as we said earlier, I mean, if he if he had lost that match, it will completely yeah. And it's <laughs> I think it's a big thing for him, and it kind of shows his confidence from the start. You know, to to, <laughs> to commission fifty percent of a uh, a documentary that follows him training for this fight, like he really must have thought he was going to win, and yeah, I mean, paid off. How did you make sure it wasn't an ego piece? Uh, from his side, yeah. Uh, it, it, well, it's it's tough, and I think when we first started speaking to him about it, that was my thought as well. And I thought, you know, is this just is this a vanity project? And we, and I think again, it kind of came came down to us, uh, kind of me and Ben, like sitting down and really writing out the kind of story and the way that we wanted to tell that story. And what's great is that he gave us complete creative control over that. And, you know, he he was there and he turned up for interviews and he gave us access. But beyond that, he didn't really get involved, uh, which is great. Because I, th- I think that relationship would have been really weird otherwise with, like, documentarian and talent kind of collaborating on how that story sold. Like, I just felt like it wouldn't have worked. Um, so we did, we did try and kind of steer it away from, like, hi, I'm KSI and, like, I'm amazing and everyone should consider me to be the best person ever and kind of actually show his more vulnerable side and show his weaker side and kind of those slightly darker moments that I think if he were making it they probably wouldn't have made the cut yeah you were also responsible for the first foray into scripted on his channel yes so it's trying to be a taxi driver 3.4 million views on his channel done quite well I mean I I wasn't sure how well it was going to do but I was really pleasantly surprised with that so tell us about that what is it yes uh so it's a short film that kind of, it's like a sort of dark comedy about an Uber driver who gets embroiled into this kind of night from hell when he picks up this very dodgy passenger with a dodgy looking suitcase. And I won't reveal the final twist. Um, but yeah, it was kind of, you know, he came to us and he said, like, he, he wants to grow with his content and with his audience. And I think actually as a creator, that's something I've really respected about him is his He's never content with where he is, and he's always kind of planning a few steps ahead. Um, and yeah, he came to us and he said, you know, we've had a great experience making Can't Lose, which is obviously unscripted, but like, let's try something in the kind of scripted direction. We bounced some ideas off each other. Eventually that one seemed, seemed to stick. And it was like, it was no nothing more than a top line of like, you know, crazy night in Uber, uh, potential murderer. And then I kind of just went away, went away and kind of developed that into this sort of 10, 11 page script. And then he's actually really great to work with because he's he knows what he wants. And if you've nailed it, he won't give you a comment for the sake of it and he won't kind of just add something just to embellish. But like equally, if, if something isn't quite right, then he's really good at giving notes. He's actually a very good um, editor, funnily enough. Um, a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, and we kind of agreed very quickly on what we wanted it to be and what the kind of tone of it was and the visual references and kind of writing references we were going for. What were the visual and writing references? Uh, well, we were kind of going for sort of uh, Twilight Zone, Inside Number Nine, with like a hint of Black Mirror. But like when I say, like I think Black Mirror mostly in the kind of twist sense, not in the sort of sci-fi sense. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, like for me, it was definitely massively inspired by Inside Number Nine and like the classic Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton and stuff was just great and, you know... A twist, uh, what, for me, it was important to have a twist that didn't feel like it was gratuitous or, like, just tagged on the end and it kind of made sense throughout the entire piece. Um, yeah. So short film as a genre, I mean, you guys have blown it out of the water mm. in terms of it being put on a, a channel like that, so right. being accessed to that many views. Yeah. Was that something that you were nervous about? Yeah. I mean, kind of, like, nervously excited, I guess is the best way to put it. Um it's. It was definitely. I think for me, yeah. No, definitely for me. I think the the biggest audience that my writing had ever received, and that that is nerve wracking. And I think my funny way of coping, a slightly neurotic way of coping with that, was just to refuse to read the comments for like at least a week. And I just thought like, I can't go near it. I'll, I'll look at it in a week because I think it's good to like read criticism and grow. Obviously, but I thought it's just too fresh right now. Like yeah. knowing that it's gone out and like you know, three three and a half million people have seen it. It's silly, but I just think, like, if I walk down the street, like, the chances are at least one person on the street may have actually seen it, and, like, that kind of was a bit weird. So I left it a bit. I kind of let it become this sort of distant thing that I didn't really mind about so much, and then I went back and kind of reviewed the comments, by which point they were really positive and great, and I kind of, like, there was nothing to be worried about anyway. Um, but, yeah, definitely a kind of weird one, sort of immediately jumping into this, like, you know, like I said, the biggest content creator in the country, and uh, a big compliment, though, like massive compliment. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really exciting what what you're doing because people view YouTube as this free source of content, and I mm. guess that is that is a negative because people will look at that however many minutes it was three minute piece yeah. of content, and they you know they consume it and then they move on and they don't understand maybe at that point the value of that how many people you know the team of people that are involved in that the writers the editors the camera crew you know I think when you watch something on a say a linear channel you do sort of get a perspective like that is a Mm. you know a big big project so it's nice that you are using a platform like YouTube where you know there is a mass young generation of people who maybe don't really see the the huge value of entertainment and how collaborative it can be right I think it's seen as quite disposable yeah um and it's funny, you know, because like, it's not true of all online content because like, you can go on to Netflix and like a Netflix original has never lived on television and yet it kind of has this kudos of mm-hmm. something that a YouTube video never would. Uh, and we kind of, obviously we talk about that a lot in the office and how we can make small steps to kind of try and change that mindset. And one of the things was with this scripted film that we did for KSI and we've actually just finished another one that should be out soon. Um, we were kind of toying with the idea of putting credits on the end because we thought like it's very weird to put credits on the end of a YouTube video. And it's like, if we're just seeing this as a kind of a YouTube sketch, which obviously has been done a million times before, like you'd never see credits mm-hmm. on the end. But we thought like, no, like this is, there are so many people have worked on this. They deserve to be credited. And it does, we kind of owe it to the platform, I think, to kind of push things in that direction where everything does seem a bit more legitimate. 
Absolutely. It's not yeah, it's not it's just nice to see it evolve. I think yeah. everything comes full circle and there will more premium content is going to come on YouTube. Right. You just you just need the sort of fearless people to do it first. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree with that definitely. So you're currently on a writer's retreat in collaboration with the yes. BBC's Writers Room. Living my best life. <laughs> Living your best life. <laughs> what do you we've not finished, but no. halfway through, what do you think has been your biggest takeaway so far? Oh, um well, it's kind of a, it's focused towards comedy, obviously. So, I think the, the, one of the most interesting things that we learned yesterday was that you don't need to be funny to write jokes, mm-hmm. uh, and that's like you know, I think everyone kind of ha- everyone who writes comedy at least like has that kind of insecurity of like, oh yeah, like I can make my friends laugh, but with, you know, give me a piece of paper and everything goes a bit stilted and a bit obvious. And I think we had a, re- a really great workshop yesterday on kind of how to write topical jokes and take ideas from current affairs or whatever and just be able to sort of brainstorm it. It's almost like a sort of step-by-step hack on, like, how to write a joke with a punchline. It was, like, brilliant. Like, I didn't know you could condense, like, a sort of this mysterious art into, like, such a sort of logical way of doing it. So I think, of all things, I mean, it's been amazing throughout, but that's probably the one that I'm looking forward to actioning the most. Yeah, so that was with Gronny Maguire, and she, she kept talking about it as being a muscle, didn't yeah. she? Yeah, yeah, and, like, such a good analogy. Because, like, was it the gym analogy that she was... Yeah. yeah. It's, like, kind of, yeah, it's constantly training that muscle. And the brain is no different. And, you know, if you keep doing this process of constructing gags in this way, like, you won't actually have to get, do it on paper by, you know, after you've done it for long enough. It'll just be second nature. And she was also saying the gym is sometimes really rubbish when you're in it, which is yeah, true. Yeah, like, right. you don't feel great when you're there, but you leave and you're like, oh, now I feel great. Yeah, and that's been another thing is I think a lot of... Yeah, so, like, every person who's come in has been optimistic but also realistic. And they've said, like, you know, you're going to have slightly crap writing days where you don't feel inspired and you don't really want to write anything or you feel a bit stilted or anything, and that's fine. And I kind of... That's really refreshing to hear because I think sometimes you can... You can have a really bad writing day and you think, oh, it's just me. And, like, why is it that everyone else can just keep churning out great work and I'm just sat here staring at my desk all the time? So it's been it's been great to kind of hear about their struggles as well. It's, uh, it's like a clogged pipe. Yeah. You have to get the crap out Yeah, to, for it to flow. And exactly. You, it's, it's recognising, I know this is bad. I just need to get all of this bad stuff out yeah. so that then I can write the hit. Yeah, yeah. That honesty has been top draw, top draw. We are asking everyone on series two of this podcast, is there a talent or a piece of work that has particularly inspired you on your creative journey? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, uh, oh, well, I hate to join on about it because I know I've already <laughs> mentioned it, but I think the, a series that has probably framed my kind of where I want to be as a writer the most was Inside Number Nine. Uh, and I don't say that to be a sycophantic fan of the BBC or BBC Studios, for that record. Uh, but I think it's just brilliant. And for something that is constantly pushing the envelope and never happy with what it's already done and always striving to do something new and original and creative and take the audience in a completely new direction that they, you, they never thought they were going to get taken in, uh, I can't think of anything better. It looks bigger than it did in the brochure. Well, better that than the other way around. Remember that awful hotel we stayed in in Greece? It wasn't so bad. Just tighten it up and you can let it flow. Pig, please! Stinks. I can 
can explain. And also in the, their live episode, I mean, I know, yeah, that was just mind-blowing. And I think it just really kind of restored my faith in kind of terrestrial television, actually, in many ways. And now that we've kind of got a bit of those secrets of, of boiling down a concept, what, mm. do you, what do you think is the core of every Inside Number 9 episode? Oh, that's a big question, Brona. That's a very big question. Uh, I would say... The element of surprise, I guess. Yeah. I think that... So the, do- the darkness The darkness, but it's so clever in that, much like Black Mirror, actually, it's, it is a format by this point, and you know what you're getting yourself in for when you watch an episode of these shows. Uh, and you know that it's going to be 25 minutes, and there's probably going to be a really surprising mm-hmm. twist at the end. And yet you'll never see it coming, and it doesn't feel contrived, and it doesn't feel obvious. Uh, and it is just that constant kind of, yeah, like, surprising of the audience i love it i'm always shocked as well how close laughter and being totally scared yeah. out of your wits yeah. is you, you can that they'll say something so funny one moment and then the yeah. next it just completely flips yeah. it on its head it's yeah. terrifying and they do they do that so well and they, they they match that kind of that comedy and terror like immaculately and you don't just because you're laughing at one joke it doesn't lose the tension of the entire episode and um, yeah, it's masterful, and I love them. <laughs> so, what's next for Ed and After Party? Oh, what's next? Um, so, we're kind of developing a few uh, formats, kind of like comedy formats. Um, we have been told by literally every fan of Callum's that we've met in the past year that we need to do another episode of the After Party. So, we're definitely doing that. That's kind of halfway through production at the moment. So, looking forward to getting that out. What's the After Party? Thank you for asking. <laughs> the After Party is uh, a kind of magazine talk show. It's kind of 30-minute talk show on Callum's channel. Uh, and it's kind of a surrealist take on a kind of American late-night talk show. Uh, so it's, it kind of spoofs it. It kind of takes loads of different YouTube formats, like interviews and sketches, and kind of pairs them into this studio environment in a kind of way that hopefully hasn't really been done before. Yeah. Great. Exciting. Yeah. Well, we, we think what, what After Party is doing is, is very cool. Thank very you. cool. We've used that word a lot this week. <laughs> but um, yeah, we'll be excited to see the next big yeah. thing. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about us, we're on Instagram at BBC Studios Talentworks. This podcast is produced by Shola Alegi for BBC Studios. 2 new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manis and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.